Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer here at How Stuff Works, and I love all things tech. And it's time for a Friday classic episode. Get ready for this blast from the past from Tech Stuff. So we are talking about toilets today. Yeah, it's going to be a, this episode's going to be flush with puns. Man, I can't take this already. I know, it's bad already, right? <laughs> so before I really get into that, you know, I, there will obviously be some levity in this, but th- this is actually a very serious topic. And to kind of illustrate that, I wanted to mention uh, something else. Now, this is this is half a year away from us, but November 19th is World Toilet Day, which at first sounds kind of comedic, right? I, I'm, I think it's hilarious. It sounds funny. It's It's an event hosted by the World Toilet Organization. Still sounds at first when you think about it, because the, I mean, toilet humor has become like a real... It's a real industry unto itself, but this is not about humor. It's actually the purpose of the day and the purpose of the organization is to help provide support for getting proper sanitation to the world's population. Oh, yeah. According to that organization, 
15% of the world's population still practices open defecation. Oh, really? That's a billion people. I mean, I knew a lot of people did. I didn't realize it was that high of a percentage. Now, I <laughs> saw a figure back in, I think, 2009 that was 2.5 billion people. So clearly, we've made some great strides in, in uh, raising sanitation levels, but there's still so much work to be done. And, right. I mean, this is obviously something that we have to be concerned with because it can lead to, you know, pandemics or at least a really bad outbreak of disease. And sure. Not to mention just unpleasant living conditions. Well, so. you know, what's funny is um, I think part of it also is not just that people practice open defecation, but that they, a lot of them don't have access to sanitary drinking water right. as a result of their of their waste disposal. Um but I have, there are places, especially in um, parts of rural India, where open defecation is practiced, where the people are like, you can put toilets in here all day long, we're not going to use them, because we find uh, open defecation as part of like wholesome country living is the way that I've seen it put. Mm. Like it's just part and parcel with being outside and, you know, watching a squirrel run past you while you're pooping, that kind of thing, and, it, like, really taking in the whole scene. It's a cultural thing at that point. Yeah, yeah where yeah. It, it goes beyond, it goes beyond, like, it's it's not necessarily just the, the lack of facilities. Mm-hmm. It's this has become a way of life. Right. Uh, I could understand that. I mean, I know there was even some uh, reluctance in Japan to go from the... Uh, the more trough-like toilets that they used to oh, have. Oh, those are still there. Yeah, there's there's a much smaller percentage of the toilets in Japan are those, but mm-hmm. they still do exist. Sure. Uh, but there was a, a large, uh, I hesitate to use the word movement, trend to going toward more Western-style toilets over the last couple of years. I know, I'm sorry, it's going to happen. Chris Paulette is only here in spirit, but he is here. No, you're channeling him pretty hard. Yeah. So let's go with a little history lesson before we get into how toilets actually work. Now, if you're looking for the earliest evidence of organized waste management systems, Uh you can look at Mesopotamia. Which makes sense because that's where the original civilizations were. Yeah, Yeah, it's also a great uh, B-52 song. But uh, this would be back at the 3500 BCE, around approximately around that era when you would see these organized systems for waste management. One thing I thought was really interesting was I watched uh, a documentary about a Neolithic village mm-hmm. that was on the Orkney Islands uh, in Scotland. Uh-huh. Uh, we call it Scarabray. Uh, that's the name we've given it because any actual records of this village haven't existed for for more than a couple thousand years. Right. This village was forgotten. No one knew it was even there until there was a major storm that washed away some of the land that had grown up, built up around on top of the village. That is so cool. It is amazing, right? When it was discovered, you immediately had a a an uh, it was an expedition, let's say, to uncover the village, but it was not led by anyone who's ever been actually identified. In other words, it was treasure hunters. Oh, gotcha. Didn't probably didn't find anything really of value there. There was certainly no, you know, hordes of gold and diamonds and jewels there. Uh, and it wouldn't be until the 1930s that a more organized archaeological dig would take place. Right. And after that, there was another storm and they had to actually shore up the area to protect it as an archaeological site. And what they found was that this tiny village, which dates to around 3000 BCE in mm-hmm. Scotland, mm-hmm. 
had these homes that were very sophisticated. You would walk in, there'd be a large bed on the right-hand side, a smaller bed on the left, which mm-hmm. mirrors uh, regular practices of the time where the husband and wife, the husband would have the larger of two beds. Mm-hmm. They had a, a fire pit, a hearth, uh, but they also had a essentially a toilet. They they had a a, a a stone cabinet with a hole cut so that you could sit down on it with channels that w- led out to the ocean and ocean water with the tides would actually flush smart this. So these were flushing toilets. They yeah. they weren't manual flush. You tidal flush, so you had to wait. Hey, it's still flushed. Yeah. That's the important point in this. took the waste away. Right. Yeah, yeah. So all the way back to 3000 BC, uh, the actual, the whole area of Scarabray is fascinating. So Mm -hmm. definitely look into that if you get a chance. I I mean, I've seen it before. Um, I've seen just the settlement, pictures of the settlement. It is pretty advanced. You don't think of the Orkney Islands in 3000 BCE as, you know, the seat of civilization right. or, or technology, but it, yeah, they had something going on it's there. It's pretty surprising. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, when I think of, of, uh, society, civilization in the British islands, I'm thinking closer to the Roman times, but it's pretty amazing right. how sophisticated it was even back then. Uh, ancient Greeks also, they, they used, uh, sewage systems to channel waste away from living quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Romans went even further. Mm-hmm. They, they would have these, especially if you were a, a very wealthy or powerful Roman, you might have a pretty styling, you know, bathroom. Yeah. Uh, with, with heated seats. Heated seats. Heated marble seats. Yeah. Um, and it, it may be private from what I understood, but for the most part, public bathrooms really took the public thing to the nth degree. <laughs> yep. Where it was just like a, basically a, a long bench with different cutouts, you know, yep. spaced not very far apart, frankly. Right. Um, and you'd have maybe eight or ten, maybe fifteen. Yeah. I saw there was a, a public restroom in Syria um, that I think was contemporaneous to, to Greece yeah. um, that sat like eighty. Right. And there's no partitions, there's no nothing, and yep. it seemed to be um, kind of a social endeavor where, yeah. like, you just sit there and chat with somebody while you're pooping. Yeah. It's kind of funny to think about how it was this communal social activity. Right. Or at least it wasn't separated from any of the communal and social activities. Right. Whereas today, we have all these unspoken rules of, uh, of you know, no talking in the bathroom. You keep your dirty behavior <laughs> to yourself. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's actually a, a machinima cartoon using the, um, I think it's the Sims, uh, where it's to illustrate the rules in the men's restroom. Mm-hmm. And rule number one is if there's a line of urinals, you take one on either end. It doesn't matter which end, just it has to be on the end. Okay. The next person in has to take the one on the furthest end. Mm-hmm. And then as long as there's at least one empty one separating you and the next person, you can take one. But if there isn't, you gotta leave. Like, like there's, it was this crazy series of, but it was a series of rules where, and the comedy came from the fact that you're like, this is kind of how guys behave in the bathroom. Yeah. For me, it's the cardinal rule is if there's two, two stalls. Right. Um, and the door is shut on one, then both are occupied by, by default. That must make it difficult here in this office because the bathrooms go, uh, floor to ceiling with the doors and they're shut all the time. So that's, that's different. Like that, <laughs> these bathrooms are, 
prime real estate, in my opinion. <laughs> but if you'll remember in the last place where yeah. HowStuffWorks was headquartered, it was, you know, just a partition and you could see feet and everything. Yep. And it's, that's just, to me, like, it, it, we, we really have advanced to the point where, you know, it is a private act. Yes. And, um, it's not to be shared. It's not public. We're not in ancient Greece any longer. Right. Um, and so if somebody's in a stall, you don't sit down next to them. I right. just, I just really feel strongly about that. I can understand. And it's interesting because when we get into advanced toilets, like the Japanese toilets, they take that to the next level mm-hmm. to create another, another, uh, a level of privacy. For that. And, yeah, it's pretty neat. Like you swipe your hand in front of a sensor and it takes you to the seventh dimension. So you're <laughs> right. completely exactly. out of reach of anybody it's, here. It's in, you and Buckaroo Banzai yeah. and that's it. Uh, well, he's in the ninth, isn't he? Yeah, I think he is. Or the tenth. It's one of those. Yeah. Uh, so one of the other things we can talk about before we move into the earliest flush toilet is that when you're looking at, say, Europe in mm-hmm. the Middle Ages all the way up into the Renaissance, uh, you're talking about, especially like, for, you know, think about castles. I, I do very frequently. I, 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 I do. I really do <laughs> frequently think about castles. Um, their facilities were pretty primitive. It was essentially a hole cut yeah. into, uh, the, uh, you know, like a, like a, a stone seat, sometimes with a wooden panel on top of it, uh, that then had a channel that that slanted away from the wall and your your waste would drop down either into a cesspit, a moat. Moat. Sometimes just the ground. Onto invading armies. That is also a possibility. And these were called garter robes. And they were also closets. They weren't just bathrooms. They were closets. You would hang <laughs> your clothing. Why? Because the ammonia from your urine would kill fleas. Oh wow, that is very surprisingly clever. Yeah, it's not Scarabray clever, but it's, <laughs> it's up there. So if you're wondering when the first flush toilet comes along, it's actually a lot earlier than I had anticipated. Uh, it's weird. I I don't know how I never came across this fact before, and it's one that, by the way, a lot of people in our office know. It comes from 1596. Yeah. John Harrington. Yes, who was a cousin, I think, of um, Elizabeth I. Yeah, he, he was her godson. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. And uh, he designed this flushing toilet or prototype of a flushing toilet for yeah. her. Yeah, and uh, she probably didn't use it very much. She it, didn't admit to it. She was a queen, and technically when you're queen, you can pretty much poop wherever you like. <laughs> right. Someone's going to take care of it. Oh, I'm sure. But uh, he called it the Ajax. No, here's the thing. John Harrington was a rake. Oh, yeah? He was... Like Greg Kinnear-level rake? Uh, you know, kind of. Like, he, he he was known for passing around lewd poetry to the ladies <laughs> of the court. He loved to... He was very clever. And he loved being clever. And so, lewd poetry, yeah. flushing toilets. Well... This guy he, sounds clever he, at the yin yang. He called it the Ajax as a pun. Uh-huh. It's a pun on the term Jakes, which is uh, a... a euphemism for toilet. It's like the John. It's oh, the okay. Jakes. Yep. So Ajax is a pun on Jakes. And it had a pan into which one would do one's business. Mm-hmm. And a cistern that you could pump water up into. Mm-hmm. And then a handle. And when you pulled the handle, it opened up a valve that allowed the water from the cistern to come down and wash away what was in the pan 
down through a, a channel that would go out to a cesspool. Onto an invading army. In, or onto an invading army, as the case may be. As far as I know, he only built two. I think he built one for the queen and one for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was an interesting idea. Did not catch on at the time. Uh, really just showed his inventiveness. To, to look at the next uh, approach to the flushing toilet, you have to go ahead by almost 200 years right. to 1775. Yep. Alexander Cummings. Exactly. And he, he invented something that ended up being very important for the flushing toilet, the S-trap. Yeah, so much so that it's still basically the design of toilets today. Yeah, now this is the the pipes that you see that lead out from your toilet, and mm-hmm. it's called an S-trap because it's in that S-shape, right? Yeah, or some people consider it an upside-down U or yeah. something like that. It all depends on, one, how much of it you can see, and right. two, exactly what implementation it is. But yeah, the U-trap is another way of, of looking at an upside-down U. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the important thing about this was that it would allow, uh, it would, well, a trap water once it had gone down the pipe from coming back up, and it right. would also thus trap the smell. Yes, which is very important with sewers. Because yeah. if you're taking a piece of technology and connecting it to an, an open sewer, yeah. the smell's gonna be something. Yeah, it's you gonna need be. To figure out how to take care of that. And he did with the S trap. Yeah, and it it was really a, a brilliant idea. Uh, it also, mean, so much so Strickland that like th- three two hundred years later, two hundred and fifty years later, yeah, um, we're still using this guy's design. Yeah, it has not been improved upon in two hundred and fifty years. Right there, there are a couple of other uh, variations on it, but it has the basic design is still what we rely upon because. It works. It has no moving parts right. for just that that pipe, so it can't break down in that sense. It could still get clogged, and maybe we'll talk a bit about you clogs know. later. Yeah, well, you know, you got to talk about it. I didn't. I did not know we were going to talk about clogs. Well, I, I'm, I apologize. If you want, you can check out for that part of the. Uh, okay, episode. I'll go to my happy place. That's good. Yeah, we'll just watch you kind of stare back <laughs> into space. Um, but it also, uh, he also invented a sliding valve between the bowl and the trap, which allowed some water to stay in the bowl mm-hmm. after you flushed so that it could hold on to the waste for the next time. And so you didn't just have just an empty bowl of waste. Right. And then put water into it. It right. was, you know, it, it actually improved the performance quite a bit. Uh, and you had a lot of other inventors who followed, like Samuel Prosser, uh, Joseph Brahma, uh, Thomas Tweeford, they all made improvements to the basic design of the toilet. But not a Mr. Crapper. You know, I was going to save that, but yeah, let's talk about Thomas Crapper here okay. for a second. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. 
No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed, and I'd be lost without my smartphone. In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town, I use my smartphone to look up things to do, or, most importantly, where to eat. In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Okay, so you may have heard the somewhat apocryphal tale that the toilet was invented by a man named Thomas Crapper. Yes, appropriately enough. Yeah, one of those, ha-ha, isn't it ironic, don't you think, Alanis Morissette moments. <laughs> right. You know? I think um, it's in that song, it? Isn't might it? be. Yeah, it's, like, it's like rain on your wedding day. It's like Thomas Crapper making a toilet. Right. I'm pretty sure that's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thomas Crapper, uh, as far as we can tell, was actually a person. Mm-hmm. There are records of a Thomas Crapper who, hold, who held patents in the 19th century, and they're plumbing patents. And some of them, in fact, involve improvements to the water closet or toilet. Mm. But he didn't invent it, um, and he may not have had that big of an impact overall on the toilet evolution. It's just one of those facts that kind of got passed around as, you know, or one of those those tidbits that gets passed around right. as the total truth. Yeah. Plus, he pronounced his name Crapper. <laughs> it's Crapper. <laughs> Beard Fosse. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it's one of those things where I, I actually looked into it too because I was like, well, I've always heard that as well. And I'm, I'm curious where that came from. Well, yeah, it is. It's got, it has traction because it's just so delightful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back to mid 1800s, 1848 in the UK, that's when they passed the Public Health Act, which stated that all new houses in the UK had to be built with a toilet. Very smart. Yeah. It's a, a great way of preserving your your various towns and cities from becoming overrun with filth. Right. But, then, and this is still um, in play today, there's a certain psychology around defecation, urination, expelling waste, right? Yeah. And it can swing wildly from era to era. Sure. But at that time, in the mid-19th century, 
forcing the public to install indoor plumbing wasn't like the public was saying, yes, thank you, government. We've been waiting to have to do this. Mm-hmm. It was more like, um, w- wait, you want us to put a toilet where? Next to the kitchen? Yeah. What is wrong with you? No, yeah. that's disgusting. We want to put this over in the back garden where, right. you know. Or, you know, in a chamber pot that's mobile that we can put wherever and get rid of immediately. Like, this is gross. Like, yeah. you want us to hook it up to the sewer? What's wrong with you? Right. So there was like a, a certain um amount of uh resistance to adopting this. Yeah. Whereas now... Um, you know, that's it, yeah. You want that. You want indoor plumbing, no. it, and it, it's based on the cultural attitudes toward expelling waste that that vary from time to time. Yeah, it's 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 hard. I mean, it's very easy for us to start looking at everything from our current perspective, right? It's very right. difficult to take ourselves out of that. But you do have to do that when you start talking about subjects like this because it was a different world. I mean, it, people thought differently, and for. For reasons that you can kind of understand when you think about it. Yeah. And, you know, if you think, well, now I've got a thing that dumps waste into a sewer, but I don't want any of that smell or nastiness or anything to get into my home. Mm-hmm. When before I had a portable thing, I could actually take it outside and dump it in a cesspool or whatever. It was a, it was a, a big change. Plus, plus, it's like, that's my poop. <laughs> yeah, it's poop, but it's I know where that poop came from. Right. Whereas with a sewer, everybody else's poop has the opportunity to come into your house. Yeah. Which you don't, you no, know, you didn't want. You don't, don't yeah. want that. Uh, another interesting point is I've been talking exclusively about people, inventors and engineers in the UK. Now, when settlers came over to America, they mm-hmm. did not come over with plans for toilets. And so the toilet actually had a parallel evolution in the UK and in the United States. So it evolved in isolation, basically. A little bit, That's yeah. Neat. With with a little bit. I mean, they obviously had some common history there, but it was largely uh, engineers in the U.S. who created very similar style toilets. In some cases, they were toilets that were lagging behind the technology by about twenty years mm-hmm. ac- uh, compared to the UK. But you had folks like James T. Henry and William Campbell who were awarded a U.S. patent for a water closet, mm-hmm. toilet. Um, and that's where we really see it moving forward from that point on and to the point where they essentially merged. Like the, the, you know, the, we saw the United States adopt things like the S trap, uh, making the toilets more useful. Right. Um, do you know when toilet paper was invented? Toilet paper was invented in 1978. <laughs> I uh, I predate 1978, and I distinctly remember toilet paper. Uh, you were off by almost a hundred years. 18, oh yeah, 1890 is Did, when toilet paper was invented. Didn't they used to use the Sears Roebuck catalog as yeah, toilet paper in or the US? corn cob? Yeah. Or, there's actually some there's, poetry that I've read where there's a discussion. A giant, I forget what poem it is, but there's a giant talking about all the different things he has used to, uh, clean himself mm. after, after mm. evacuation, uh, including, uh, I think he, he determined that the most comfortable was the neck of a goose. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. Yeah, I can yeah. tell you. Not, not for the goose, but. No, no. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, toilet paper was invented in 1890, but not marketed heavily until 1902. Huh. So for more than a decade. Yeah. It just kind of, I was like, well, I mean, why? We got the Sears Roebuck catalog. Or corn cobs. Or corn cobs. How do you look around your house and say, 
Oh yeah, corn cob. That's, that's a that's a good idea. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Sure, no. it's got traction, but <laughs> you pay a price for that traction. Yeah, I uh, I hesitate to to hazard a guess. To be honest, I like the gooseneck idea. I <laughs> well, I try that. I have some geese at home. All right. Okay. Well, um, I I'd like to apologize on behalf of Josh's geese here. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'd like to extend to you my apologies for giving him the idea. Let's talk about how a toilet actually works. Okay. All right. So you got your basic parts of the toilet. You've got the tank. You've got the bowl. Right. In which you do your business. Yeah. And then you have the siphon, the S-trap area, that where the, the waste goes once you flush. Which is technically part of the bowl. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's easier to talk about it as separate parts. But yes, you are correct. Thank you. So <laughs> inside the tank, you have the flush valve. Uh, this is the valve that allows water to flow out of the tank and into the bowl. Yeah, so when you press down the handle, yep. there's that handle is connected by chain to that flush valve. That's right. the thing that lifts up and lets the water from the tank into the bowl. Yeah, and once the water is flowing down, like for most toilets, you no longer have to hold the handle down because just the, the water itself, once the valve is in open position, it'll remain open until the water level is low enough for it to close again. Yeah, they make it so it's light enough to float. Yeah, once uh, it's open. Right, because it's overcome suction thanks yep. to the handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's floating there, and then as the water drains out, its ability to float stops so it falls back into place. Right. Ideally. Ideally, yeah. There are times, obviously, if you have issues where maybe there's a hinge that's a little too tight or... There's uh, something off with the seal of, on the the uh, the valve that you may have to have that replaced because otherwise water just continuously flows into the bowl right. and it never accumulates in the tank. I found that uh, most of the time it's because there's a little bit of extra chain that's keeping the flush valve from sitting in, in suction from from generating. Gotcha. Uh, you you also have a second valve inside the tank. Yeah, the filler valve. Right. Uh, the filler valve is what allows water to go into the tank uh, as well as into the bowl after a flush. Mm-hmm. So uh, it needs to it, it refills the tank after you flushed it. So you flush the tank, the the water from the filler valve will start to pour into the tank to refill it once that that flush valve has shut. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that water also will go into the bowl to bring the level back up to the proper height. Right, and then you've got a filler float. This is a pretty ingenious. Yeah, this is a brilliant idea. The idea is that the filler float will rise to a certain level within the tank, and once it's at the proper level, it will activate a switch that mm-hmm. turns off the filler valve. Yeah. So you, so that way you no longer have water running in your tank. If you ever hear water continuously running in your tank, that means that float is not activating the switch properly, and you may need to take the the lid off and see what's going on with that float. Yeah. Maybe it's stuck on something. Uh, or it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, the switch might be burnt out, in which case you would need to have that switch replaced. But that's what's causing that. Uh, or this, again, the flush valve could be not seated properly and water's just rushing out. So that's that true. filler valve, um, balloon isn't getting to that level where it's supposed to, where it can trip the, the filler valve from turning off again. Right, exactly. Yeah, that could be another, another, uh, cause for it. But you don't have to fear. Because even if the water is running, yeah. your toilet will very likely not overflow because it's been designed so that as the tank fills, even if it keeps filling and filling and filling, it's going to the overflow um, tube, I guess, yeah. is going to direct that into the bowl. Right. So any water that comes above the, the height of the overflow tube will just 
flow down the tube. Mm-hmm. The tube leads to the bowl, and water will flow into the bowl. And then you think, wait, 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 right. won't that cause it to flush? Yeah, surely somewhere this thing's got to flood. What's the deal? Why doesn't it? All right, that's when we get into the siphon. <laughs> Where my head pops. Yeah, this is the siphon gets a little... Uh, for those who those of us who are many years away from basic physics, mm-hmm. the siphon gets confusing. So the siphon is uh, designed, so this is that, that sort of upside-down U or the S-shaped mm-hmm. pipe. Uh, the top of that upside-down U, the peak there, that's at the same level as what the, the toilet bowl, the, the level of water in your toilet bowl will mm-hmm. be. Now, if you were to pour more water into the toilet bowl, because there's there's just this open area between the uh, siphon and the bowl, you know, putting more water in makes the water level rise on both sides, right? Right. But if you're only putting in a little bit of water, that water will just rise up above the level of the bend and flow down the other side of the bend. Yeah, and and I should I want to point out that um, this is your explanation is spot on, but would be exponentially easier if somebody were looking at a cross section of a toilet flushing S valve right exactly. now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would really drive it home. A yeah. Lot Cause more. it's, it's, this is me trying to paint a picture right. of a toilet flush in yeah. words. Yeah. With physics. <laughs> yeah. So you've got, you've got this, this level here. And as long as the water is just flowing gently. So it, in other words, like a steady stream from the overflow tube, mm-hmm. then it's just going to, gradually rise up till it hits above that U bend and then flow down the other side and that's all that happens because it's not it's not creating the siphon effect yet. Yes. So the the water is in that in that S trap yep. and in your toilet bowl. Yep. And on the other side of the siphon in the tube that leads down to the sewer, yep. that that air is in balance with the air that's in the toilet bowl. Right. So you basically have air pressure balancing your water yeah. and keeping it in place. Yep, yep. And it's only if you were to fill that siphon, that mm-hmm. S-trap, with water completely, yep. that, that then things get out of balance. And here's where the siphon effect comes into play. So how does a siphon work? All right, first of all, a siphon's a bent tube used to move a liquid from a high evolution, uh, elevation, rather, over an obstruction and to a lower elevation. Done and done. Right. You could do this very easily by taking two cups, filling one cup with water, putting a couple books down on a table. Mm-hmm. So you put the, the cup full of water on top of one other set of books, get a tube, like a flexible tube of some sort, right. submerge it in the water so that the tube fills with water, put your thumb over one end of it, right. move it over to the other cup, which is on the surface of the table. Yeah. Make so it's sure, lower. Yeah, make sure that the make sure that the end of the tube that you're holding ends up being lower than the level of water in the cup. Mm-hmm. Let go, water will start to flow from the cup that's above to the cup that's below. Even though the tube will arc, so the water is technically flowing uphill. Yeah, which is pretty neat. Yeah, as long as the lower end of the tube going into the lower elevation glass. Yeah, um, as long as that is exposed to air. And as long as the end of the tube that's in the higher glass is underwater, the air pressure in the tube is overcome and the suction effect takes place, right? Well, kind of, except that the other, the tube in the lower elevation does not have to be above water. It oh, can really? Be, it can actually be completely submerged as well. As long, what will happen is if the two water levels uh, reach the same height, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean same height relative to the table, then pressure is equalized 
and everything will everything's in equilibrium and water will stop to flow. Gotcha. Uh, it's it, but as long as the elevated cup has a higher water level, mm. water will continue to flow through that siphon. And the reason there are two reasons really. One is that water inside a chamber like that acts like a chain. It pulls itself along. Right. The other reason is that you have uh think of the 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 tube as an arc. Well, the tube that leads down to the lower elevation is longer. That side is longer mm-hmm. than the side that's in the higher elevation. Mm-hmm. So the water that's in that part is heavier. Right, okay. And that weight is what's pulling water along inside the tube. And it's until until you hit equilibrium. So for a toilet, to get it back to, to the toilet example mm-hmm. and, and why it's important, when you flush, that water from the tank rushes into the bowl and it does so fast enough to f- completely fill the pipe right. in that S-trap. This activates the siphon effect. Mm-hmm. And the water pulls the waste and also all the rest of the water along with it through that S trap until it gets to a point where it has exhausted the amount of water that the tank has put into the bowl. Mm-hmm. And then air is introduced. And once air is introduced, the siphon effect stops. Right. So with a siphon, not only is the water flowing out of the bowl, because there's so much water, what about two or so gallons yeah. introduced to your toilet bowl in about three seconds that that siphon effect is produced in the S trap, right? Yeah. Um, not only is that water flowing, it produces a type of suction. So the water in the bowl is sucked out yep. and down the siphon. And then, yes, when, like you said, once the air is introduced because the water and everything sucked out of the toilet bowl, the suction effect is cut off and everything goes back to the way it was before you flush the toilet. Right. That's when the filler valve can start to refill the bowl because now that there's no longer any more suction going on, yeah. the, the bowl water level can return back to what it was as well. And keep in mind that part of the, the S trap that, you know, you can't see because it's a solid pipe, mm-hmm. but that also ends up filling to that same height as the water that's in the bowl. Right. And then you're ready to go again once the tank is full anyway. Yeah. You once to... you eat some kimchi. <laughs> we talked about that before the podcast started. Um, but yeah, one other thing to keep in mind, you might say, well, why do we need a tank at all? Why not just have a water pipe? going directly into the toilet, and then when you flush, it just opens up a valve for a certain amount of time and Mm -hmm. then closes. And the reason is because unless you have insane water pressure in your house, you're not putting enough water in fast enough to fill that S-trap completely to to activate the siphon effect. It's just going to trickle out like if your tank was overflowing slightly. So there's some buildings that, I mean, a lot of buildings that don't have uh, tanks on their, on their toilets, but mm-hmm. that's because, again, they are directly connected to a very powerful water system. And thus, you don't need a tank because the water pressure that's coming in is great enough to start that effect all by itself. Just whoosh. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes it's even a more terrifying noise than that. So that's your basic toilet, how your basic toilet works. But. I'm so glad we're past the siphon effect. Yeah. That's. I feel like we just made it through the woods together. Now, now we're going to go into the bright, gorgeous future of weird toilets. This is great. So, let's talk Japanese toilets for a second. And I'm not talking about the ones, the the trough ones, which we established there are still some in Japan. And I, trough is one way to put it. More like uh, elliptical hole in the ground is yeah. another way you could describe it as well. Like yeah. on the floor. Yeah. 
The squatting so, toilet. I yeah, think. so you, yeah, you straddle and then squat mm-hmm. and then evacuate. <laughs> and then and then evacuate. Right. Evacuate the area. It, like I would just be like, I don't know if I did it right and run down the street. <laughs> that would right. be me. Um like I can't read your language and I'm so sorry. <laughs> just just make a good this run for it. Can't be right. Yeah, that's kinda how I'd probably <laughs> yeah. react. I mean I'm I'm being honest here. But no, the Japanese toilets, the the more Western style ones, have features many of them have features on them that put our Western toilets to shame. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this classic episode of Tech Stuff. Before we get into the final section, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed, and I'd be lost without my smartphone. In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town, I use my smartphone to look up things to do, or most importantly, where to eat. In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. So let's talk about some of the features that okay. you can find. Okay. These toilets. Sorry, do do you want do you have a favorite out of all of them? The air dry thing. Air dry. That's pretty amazing. I, I'm big on the uh the sound masking. Yeah. They 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 offer most Japanese toilets that have all the bells and whistles offer a sound masking uh feature that's a flushing toilet. Yeah. Some of them now have also classical music, but Which makes mixed sense. with some white noise. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, I actually did a, a brain stuff episode about what white noise is and how it works. So you should check. Oh that yeah, out if for you're sure. Curious. But yeah, it's the that those are so, two of the very simple ones. But it also tends to have a couple different uh, options for washing your nether regions once you are finished. Yes, and depending on your gender, um, yep. you should. Well, I should say depending on your sex. You should be very careful what option you choose when you're in Japan. Yeah, bidet would be aimed uh, for, you know, ladies. Right. And Not then, for the men folk. And then you have rear washing, which is for, you know, everyone, depending upon what activities you got up to yeah. on, on that bathroom. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's th- usually there's a picture of like a, a, a icon that looks kind of like a butt. Right. With uh, some sort of stream of something directed at it. That would be for washing your rear. Yeah. Uh, the bidet usually has a, a icon of a lady somewhere on it. Like there's a ponytail involved. Yeah. Something like that to indicate what that was for. And uh, if you're wondering like, well, wait a minute, I'm this sounds like this could be really uh, unhygienic. The Japanese are very concerned with cleanliness. Oh, yes. And so these are uh, uh, nozzles that are usually hidden away from the inside of the toilet bowl. It's only when you press the button that they get, there's like essentially a door that opens and the mm-hmm. nozzle can come out. And they have nozzle sterilization te- te- technology to clean them between uses. Right. And so, uh, yeah, they usually have buttons where you also have to, like a stop button. So if you press one of these, it essentially goes until you tell it to stop. Yeah, and the the person who wrote this, um, this how to use a, a Japanese toilet yeah. post points out that before you choose either of these options, you want to press the stream power down as as low as it'll go to right. start. And then you can adjust it upwards. Um, here she says that at the normal setting is equivalent to about a water pick. Yeah. Which on your on your on your junk, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. really, that's it's, terrible. It might come as a big surprise, uh, for that to, to hit certain sensitive areas. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's setting it low. And there's, some of them also have controls for the temperature of the water. Yeah. Not to mention the temperature of the seat. Uh, some also, like you mentioned, have the air drying so that after you have had your rear washed, right. you can air dry it. Which, I mean, like, yes, that's cool. There's, like, bidets and rear washing and all that stuff, but you're not going to stand up right afterward and right. just be wet. You have to have the air dryer. That's why, yes. to me, that's the best part. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, if, if you're going to have these other features, you really need, do need the air dryer, or else you're just like, well, I guess I'll be sitting here for a couple more minutes before, yeah. before I dare move. Uh, another interesting thing to me about the Japanese culture, um, and it makes perfect sense, I totally understand it, but, you know, in, in Japan, shoes are really considered to be quite dirty. Those are one of the dirtiest yeah. pieces of, of clothing that people have. So it's customary, of course, to take your shoes off and slip into house slippers before moving, going into a house, right? Absolutely. Bathrooms have their own sets of slippers. Yeah. And it is quite a faux pas to mix the two together. Oh, yeah. If you were to step out of a bathroom wearing bathroom slippers, you would shock yeah. people. Especially if you did like a little dance, like, I'm American. Oh, I'm yeah. American. No, don't do that, people. Come on. And you can, you can usually tell the bathroom slippers, um, from, they, they have almost like a bit of a waterproof look to them usually. Yeah. They're a little shinier. They're made of, they're not like, um, cloth usually. They're, right. You, you could tell, just using your your noodle compared to house slippers, you'd be like, these are probably the bathroom slippers. And a lot and you'd of them, likely be right. A lot of them even say like, 
toilet slippers. Or they right. might be brightly colored and you think no one would ever wear these anywhere else. Yeah, or so. maybe they have a poop emoji on them. It could be. Those are popular. Uh, another feature you might find on the toilets is a deodorizer button. Yeah. Also kind of interesting. So I found a toilet, if I may give a plug, even though I should say I have no financial interest whatsoever in the Kohler company, but I have become a fan of their Numi uh, toilet. Oh, yeah? I, I'll, uh, I can't even begin to describe it. It's just so neat as far as the design goes. Um, just go to, just look for the new me toilet and UMI. Um, but one of the things they have is a deodorizer. It's like, um, basically a little vent mm. where the, the, the odor is sucked in and, and run through a charcoal filter. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, when I read about the Japanese toilets, obviously there's some, some humor that comes in that just from the cultural differences, things like that, mm-hmm. and which, can seem very funny, but at the same time, I am incredibly envious. I would love to have a lot of these features built yeah. into American toilets. Uh, there, there are some moves to improve toilet technology in various ways. Some of it is uh, conservation, trying to find low flush toilets right. you know, that'll still activate the siphoning uh, uh, technique, but not use as much water in a go. Very important. Did you see the no mix toilet? I did. Yeah, the the. <laughs> The one that is meant, it has kind of like a ledge mm-hmm. and, and filter for, uh, urine. Yes. And then behind that would be where, Your poop, uh, goes. poop goes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's meant so that when you, when you just have to urinate, you don't have to flush the toilet. It, yeah. It doesn't flush at all. And as yeah. a matter of fact, it collects the urine. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons why the company that originally started making no mix toilets stopped making them is because, well, number one, they didn't, catch on very well. There's a lot of hesitancy. Yeah. Um, but the, another reason is they, they didn't quite have the infrastructure to collect the urine separately. Right. And send it off. Although it, it, environmentally speaking, it makes a lot of sense to sure. separate urine from feces, especially, uh, and not flush urine. Yeah. Because when you flush urine, you're introducing a lot of other stuff besides just the urine. Like if you are on, um, pharmaceuticals. Sure. Those, uh, a lot of that stuff is expelled, uh, and metabolized and expelled in your urine and it gets introduced into wetland areas and things like that. And all of a sudden you have frogs that are like, have roid rage or something. <laughs> Uh, you know, or that like are rubbing themselves against walls because you took too much ecstasy the night before. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, anything you're taking in to your, anything you're going to excrete's been filtered through your kidneys. You're going to have some some other uh, elements in there too, right? Right. That you've consumed. But so the 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 no mix toilet collects this urine and yeah. sends it off for separate recycling. And then if you're really hardcore, you know, granola. Uh, or your city is, then maybe it gets recycled into water and you drink that and pee it out again and again yep, and yep. it becomes a closed loop. Yeah, and we've talked about that on uh, Forward Thinking. We talked about that with systems aboard um, the International Space Station, yep. ways of, of water reclamation so that, I mean, obviously if you are in an area where you get very little water or it's very difficult to ship water to you, you have to make the best use of all the resources you have. Yeah. Uh, there's some other things we can talk about as far as toilet advances, smart toilets. Yeah. So sensor technology has gotten to the point now where it's, it's very inexpensive. Uh, it's, it's versatile. Waterproof. Waterproof. It's entirely possible to design sensors that could, uh, 
measure your waste and and come up with uh, actual information that could be relevant to your health. So I saw some interesting examples, like the idea of a sensor that could be an early pregnancy detection by detecting changing hormone levels. Yes. Um, it might analyze your waste, detect a bacterial infection. So it might tell you, it might even send you an indication saying, you know, you need to take it easy for a little while, or maybe even you need to go see a doctor. Right. It, with the right kind of software, you, and this is not hard to do at all, you could even have one that could send a notification to your doctor or even go further, have one that's linked to your doctor's calendar and mm-hmm. your calendar and even create an appointment for you. Right. So your toilet does all that for you. It's it's possible. It's not something that we're necessarily seeing everywhere, but no. it's possible. I, I could see some problems with this, though. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, like, first of all, there's a, a real hesitancy by people to especially put their medical records out there, their sure. health data. Um, I feel like, though, as, as the advantages or the benefits of allowing the Internet of Things or that, yeah. that level of tech into our lives, especially with health, um, become obvious to more people, the more just relaxed everybody's going to become. I mean, think about it. Five, ten years ago, uh, say five the putting your credit card into a website to order something was still like really sketchy to a lot of people. Yeah. And now enough people have done it that it's just, it's whatever. That's the norm. Yeah. yeah, Right. And I I think health, our health information is going to go that same way. I can see that. The only thing I see as a possible, well, not the only thing, but one of the things I see as an impediment to this is how do you identify the person who is using the toilet in any given situation? So, for example, Josh, let's say I have you over mm-hmm. and uh, you need to use my restroom. Right. And uh, unbeknownst to me, you are carrying around a really awful bacterial infection that's poised to wreak havoc in your system. <laughs> and so as you use my restroom and you flush the toilet, it analyzes it and suddenly thinks that Jonathan has gotten really sick. Next thing I know, my doctor's calling me. Now I know about your health condition. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, I would guess then if if toilets are analyzing us, our health personally, yeah. then a toilet itself will become a much more personal thing. So maybe I have a dumb toilet yeah. as my guest toilet. Right. And then my smart toilet is the only one that's in my master bathroom. Yes. Uh, or here's another thing. Stop me if I sound crazy. Okay. Stop. You got a biometric authentication system for your toilet where you have to scan like a thumbprint or a retinal scan to right. identify you before using it. Thus, you can't possibly confused to people and you cannot flush until you have identified yourself. No, that's a good one. <laughs> no, that's a, I mean, it makes sense. My, my wife and I have a, um, an Aria uh, scale. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's like Fitbit. Um, and it, it can easily tell us apart. Mm-hmm. But because, I mean, it just determines like weight and all that stuff. Sure. Um, so it can, it can easily tell us apart. But, you know, maybe the seat does detect by weight or there is some other detail about you that just by sitting on the toilet, uh, it says 
this is Jonathan or this is not Jonathan. I think this is someone who's broken into Jonathan's house to use his toilet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that would be another thing. Then you get an app. Yeah. Someone's using your bathroom. Should yeah. I lock the door? Yes. yes. <laughs> and turn on bathroom webcam. Right. Yeah, there you go. And also the, uh, you know, deodorize. Let's just go ahead and be safe. <laughs> uh, so there are other potential dangers, and one of those is hacking. Yeah. So there's already a story about a smart toilet hacking uh, situation, which happened back in 2013. Ars Technica reported that according to security firm Trustwave, the Inax Satis automatic toilet had a Bluetooth security vulnerability, and it was a doozy, mm-hmm. so to speak. So the you know when you pair two Bluetooth uh, capable technologies together, you generally have some sort of code that you have to put in right. in order to pair them. Not always, but a lot of them do. And the problem was they had hardwired the same master code in all of these toilets, and it was just zero, 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 zero. Right, so any app for this toilet yeah. could pair with any toilet just yeah. from being in the same area. Right, so if you are within Bluetooth distance, which is pretty decent, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, it's not that far, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not like you could do it from 250 feet away necessarily. But if you're close enough, like within the building or right. on the on the side of it or whatever, you could totally pair your phone with a toilet inside mm-hmm. and essentially hijack someone's toilet, which, you know, you might think, well, what could you do? Well, this thing had the ability to open and close via a command on your phone so that way you didn't have to touch the toilet seat. Right. It also allowed you to control things like the bidet or the rear washing uh, nozzles. So, you know, you could you could turn it on. Like you could turn on one of those nozzles when no one's on the toilet and start flooding their bathroom. Yes. Or you could do it when you realize someone's just gone into the bathroom and they haven't even really started yet. You could do it then and just laugh at the hilarious results. Ruin their day. Or close the toilet seat while they're mid, you know, activity. You know, you know, it's ironic about using an app on your phone to open and close the toilet seat. Would it be that the phone surface is the dirtiest surface you come in contact with? Vastly dirtier than your toilet. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that might be where you were going with that. Yeah. Uh, Guys, if you didn't know, if you have a smartphone that's got a touchscreen, it's filthy. It's about the dirtiest thing you probably come into contact with in any day, including a toilet seat. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that might be uh, a you know a good competitor with that would be a keyboard. If you use a keyboard yeah. on a daily basis, that's probably pretty gross too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what's in the future for toilets? Probably we will see some more of these uh, these things that are common now in Japanese toilets. Kind of filter their way through to mm-hmm. other ones. Uh, I imagine we'll see, see more moves to conserve water. It may even mean that we end up moving away from the siphon model and find a different model to uh, deal with waste so that it does it's not reliant upon creating enough water to create this suction. Mm-hmm. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but we have to you know, thank the brilliant men and women who came before us forging the path to make this incredibly useful piece of technology. Yeah. And also hope that we can continue to strive to get it to more people uh, so that we can improve the quality of life for folks who who otherwise are in pretty rough, you know, circumstances. Indeed. When of obviously when cultures are going to adopt it. Right. So 
Josh, thank you so much for joining me on this Man, episode. thank you for having me. This was a joy. It was fun. It was fun. I'm glad we uh, were able to talk about this in a mature way with only a few terrible jokes on my end. Relatively mature. Yeah, that's we did pretty mature. good. Ju- juvenile at times, but mostly mature. <laughs> uh, of course, listeners, you can find Josh at the Stuff You Should Know podcast, which is the granddaddy of all the stuff podcasts. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the oldest podcast that's still running yeah. from How Stuff Works right. and is uh, fantastic. Guys, I got to thank Josh Clark one more time for joining me on that classic episode. We talked a lot about all sorts of technologies. You know, since we recorded that, I actually got to travel to Scotland and I got to go to Scarabray and I got to see the oldest flushing toilets in Europe. It was pretty amazing. I thought it was a great trip. Not crappy at all. <laughs> anyway, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please let me know. Maybe there are other special classics that I should pull up because it's been hundreds of episodes and a lot of you may not have heard them. But if you have suggestions for future topics that I should tackle on this show, give me a shout. Send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for both of those is techstuffhsw. Don't forget, we have an Instagram account. You can go follow that. And you can watch me record shows live on Wednesdays and Fridays at twitch.tv slash techstuff. I hope to see you there and I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. 
Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.